Catholic and with 11 kids, there was never really any doubt the Duns were of Irish stock. Nonetheless, my mother liked to pretend we were slightly more Scottish. She would boast about her family tartan, she was obsessed with the Edinburgh tattoo, and she regularly enjoyed a tall glass of VAT69 whisky. I think she thought claiming Scottish ancestry made us all seem just a bit posher, and so she encouraged us all to be a little less Van Morrison and a lot more Rod Stewart. But if we were Scottish, we must have been from the outer, outer Hebrides, because on my first trip to Ireland in my 20s, I noticed something very familiar about all the menfolk. They were friendly, but always ready to argue. Skinny, but a little soft around the middle. Thick, curly heads of hair, except in that patch where they were going prematurely bald. In short, these were my people, and it was here where I truly belonged. And it's this sense of belonging which leads us to Lorraine's incredible story. Denied her true heritage, she spent years struggling with questions around her own identity. And when she finally found the courage to seek out the answers, she not only discovered her full story, but freed herself from shame. Welcome to My Fucked Up Family. Lorraine McGee Sippel, welcome to My Fucked Up Family. Thanks, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> really? Are you sure? <laughs> Have you ever had your family described as my fucked up family before? No, but I've thought of it in that way myself. Well, there you go. <laughs> I think it's a it's a moniker. I think that um, really adapts quite well to a number of families. I've got to say. Yeah. But your story in particular really caught my attention, and I've I've read your book, your wonderful book, Hey Mum, What's a Half Cast. And so it's really great that you could come and join us today. But I know before we start, you wanted to do an acknowledgement to country. Yes, thanks, Paul. I wish to acknowledge that this podcast is taking place on the traditional lands of the Garrigal people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for that. Look, it is great. It is great to have you here. Thank you. I can't wait to hear your story and just more about it. And I guess where we, where it would be a great place to start is where you start in the book. Mm-hmm. And just give us an insight into what was going on in March in 1968. Well, I'd just come home from work. Mm-hmm. I worked as a telephonist, the GPO in Martin Place. And uh, i am come home from work this particular day, so happy because um, I've just had a proposal of marriage. And I'm coming home, it was about mm, 7, 7.30, and uh, my adoptive dad said, Hey, Toots, I've got something to tell you. And he looked kind of serious, which was unusual, because he should have been happy. And I just went to tell him about um, Jack asked me to marry him. He said, yeah, I already know. We went up the pub and had a celebratory drink. There's something important I want to tell you. I thought, what, what on, what's so important? So I sat down and um, my adoptive mother was sitting opposite and she had a brain tumour and um, Dad and I were her carers as well as working full-time jobs. And she um, couldn't figure out what was unfolding. She sat there and uh, and Dad told me that um, 
you know, I was adopted, yeah. And when they got me from Scarborough home in Bondi, that they were told to tell me that my biological father was Afro-American, my mother was white, that I, um, I would need to be checked out by a doctor before we had children. And, um, and I'm trying to take all of this in. Uh, and that they, Dad said he, he was told to tell me this before I got married, so he's telling me right, you know. The shock of it all, it just came so suddenly and I just started to cry and um, my mother was saying, what's the matter? What's the matter, Lorraine? What's the matter? And uh, Dad said, you'll have, to, you'll have to tell Jack. So he came over. And uh, he sat opposite me, and so I started to tell him, and I was crying so much, and um, Dad took over and told him that I could have throwbacks, we could have throwbacks. I'd have to be checked out by a doctor before we had a family. And I thought, no, all too much. Um, why doesn't he just bugger off? <clears throat> and I couldn't look at him. Jack saying, Look at me, sweetheart, look at me. I said, I can't, I'm too ashamed. And uh, I just felt, you know, I belonged in the gutter because my whole life had changed. And I thought, it'll never be the same again. And he wanted to go off to Papua New Guinea because we discussed places to go. He wanted to get me really away from home. I mean, wow, that's mm. such a jaw-dropping thing to be told when you should have been should have been the night of your life uh, yeah. just to hear that and on hearing that no your life never was the same after that but just a couple of things like I mean there's the question of perhaps maybe your dad could have waited till the next day to have that conversation <laughs> what was this feeling that you needed to be checked out by a doctor just because your dad could have supposedly been African-American. There was this um, obsessiveness with colour and castes, you know, mm. quarter caste, half caste. It was quite offensive. And um... So uh, upon hearing this news of your um, supposed ancestry, mm -hmm. you just wanted to shut the man who just proposed to you and you'd accepted <laughs> You just wanted to shut him out. Was that your reaction to it? Because it was just too hard to handle or what? Uh, yeah, because um, um, it was problematic from then on, right. our, our relationship. And um, I told Jack to go to Papua New Guinea where we decided to go. So he went without you? Went out without me and uh, made me set a date for, to get married. And I was reluctant to do that because I thought, no, look, I want to call it off. And so, you know, if I've got that in my mind, it's not going to work out. Um, and he goes up and then there's communication problems. You know, you don't have access mm -hmm. to um, what we have access today. You can't just pick up your mobile and phone. It's just letters. Just letters. Back and forth. And uh, he was a pr prolific letter writer, and, he, and he, his letters were poetic and loving. He'd make love to me in a letter with a few words. They were so beautiful, and I didn't really believe it. 
I thought, how could anybody love me? You know, first off, my mother doesn't want me. And I was sitting in that home as a baby for six weeks or more. What led them, so your adopted mum and dad, Flo and Alan, what led them to Scarborough and picking you? Mum wanted a girl. She wanted a girl, right, so you fit the bill there. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, maybe there weren't that many available, I I don't know, because um, I was only tiny. Apparently when they got me home, Mum was crying and Dad said, what's wrong? She said, I don't know whether I've got a baby or a skinned rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, not a great start, is it? (laughs) No, it's not. Um, She doesn't sound particularly maternal. No, she wasn't. You just wonder what makes people go go to the trouble of adopting a baby. Society. Right. Pressure on women to either breed or to um, have children in some way. Way. Um, And that came off onto me. I um, became like that too. When did you find out that you were adopted? When did you become aware of it? When I was called uh, half-caste at school. Right, and how old were you then? I was nine. Yeah, right. And um, But I wanted to find out what half-caste was. And my mother wouldn't tell me. And who told you that? That was that response, you know, that um, straight away I became suspicious. And, uh, And then a bit later on, had an older cousin up school holidays and I'm looking through the photos again because I was consumed by the, <laughs> this album that I didn't seem to belong in because I didn't fit in. I, was, I wasn't dark but I was dark enough to not fit into that album. I thought something not right here. I heard some of the older kids at school talking and I said why is Johnny doesn't look like his mum or dad. They said he's adopted. I said, what's adopted mean? So they told me. And I thought, aha, I'm adopted. So I asked mum that. And and the same response, who told you that? I thought I was really clever for working it out. (laughs) And I thought she'd praise me. That same response. And I thought, well, I am adopted. That really sounded like it shaped how you felt about... Myself. Yourself. Yeah. Um, I wasn't allowed to talk about being adopted. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, that that had to be shameful. So I took all that on. And I remember thinking, there's something in my mother's drawer where she keeps her business papers that belongs to me and can tell me who I am. And um, Mum was working down at the um, homestead and uh, Dad was down the garden, and uh, I thought, right, they're out of the way. And so I go and um, search in the second top drawer, and I know exactly where to go, and I spill it out on <laughs> their double bed, all those papers. Then I finally I get the paper, and it just smelled real musty. It was a creamy colour, thicker than the others, and I thought, oh, adoption. That has to do with me, and I saw a name, Gloria Wooding, and uh, I work out that that must be me, and I'm trying to find a bit more information, then next minute I hear, Lorraine, where are you? Oh, you must have shat yourself. (laughs) I was sprung. Mum burst through the door, and uh, because having the door closed, well, I mean, it's a good sign, isn't it? Yeah. I'm up to no good. 
uh, I'm just trying to find out who I am. And um, and she just took the thing out of my hand and ripped it up. And, I mean, I wanted to see the rest of the information. I would have been able to see who, who my mother was, my biological mother. But at least I found out what name. Then I, Your name, I, I yeah. clung on to that. Well, yeah, you did cling on to that. But your, your adoption wasn't really talked about again until all those years later that night when you and Jack got engaged. So getting back to that, he, he went up to Papua New Guinea. Yeah. How long before you followed? He'd been up there about four and a half months. And when I did go, by this stage, Mum's in Roselle Admission Centre and I'm with Jack and um, I couldn't talk to him and I felt shamed and everything. It just went from bad to worse. I thought, I've got to leave here. So I told him I was, or some friends told him I was leaving up there. And then he said he was coming too. So we ended up in Brisbane. Our relationship was pretty good, pretty good to what it had been. It's just that I couldn't say what was wrong and that I really needed to find my family. Did you, were you aware that that was your issue then? Yeah, well, I, I couldn't. He said, oh, God, haven't you gotten over that yet? Like... The black father and the throwbacks, it's, that was sort of stopping me, for God's sake, you know, because I couldn't really say how I felt. I needed to find my family, yeah. but I was too frightened for the simple reason that um, I might be rejected. I guess when you've got these issues, he expects you to be over them. Mm. You're not over them. Yeah. You're terrified of starting a family before you have some answers to your questions, I guess. Yeah, I was frightened that this baby might be, isn't it awful, a throwback. What does that mean in your mind? Like, Well, they might be black or they might be brown and nobody else, people would be looking at them and, and they'd be rejected. Now, how could I take that on? I could take my own pain but not my ba- baby's pain. Yeah. Mm. So you left Jack in Brisbane and you came back to Sydney. And what happened to your relationship? Oh, well, on the New Year's Eve 1969, I thought, I can't have him waiting for me and I can't work this out. So I ring him up. He's in Brisbane and told him Happy New Year and that I hoped that he would meet somebody else and be very happy. And he he was silent. I could hear him take a deep breath and um, but he didn't say anything so I left it for it seemed like ages and then I I hung up Uh, so I thought you know swinging 60s are over and I went to the fridge because Jack had bought a couple of bottles of champagne to celebrate that evening that when he proposed and there were two bottles of in the fridge there was nobody home dad had gone out and so I um, got stuck into the champagne. By yourself? By myself. I had to crawl to bed. That's how you saw her in the, the 70s. Pathetic. <laughs> it was start a wipeout. Start of a big decade for you. Wow. So, so, so all of that had really happened just over the course of a couple of years. Yeah. In 68 and 69. And finally on New Year's Eve, you say, that's it. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Well, starters, you mean to continue, really, Lorraine, because you spent the best part of the 70s just avoiding 
the issue. Yeah. Uh, you struggled with drink and depression. Uh, but at the same time, you built a successful career as a nurse and a midwife. You travelled the world and, you know, tried to get on with, with life. Yeah, I do. But what was it that made you finally decide, no, I have to confront this and I have to go out and find my family? I thought, I've, I've really got to do something. I'm becoming really bitter and um, angry and it's not me. Uh, anyone I, the only way I can do something about this is to find my family. I need to do it now. Eleven months later, I did find them. I went through Adoption Triangle. They're not a searching agency. They're more a support group. And they uh, formed in 1980. This is 19, yeah, 1980, so yeah. I was lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I landed my first meeting in a small hall, meeting other people like myself, and I'm starting to hear stories about, you know, people that have been adopted or... And is that where you first started getting suspicions that what you'd been told? Yeah, yeah. Right. I thought, and... Um, but just to be in that group with other... Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, that must have been almost the closest thing to a family that you would have had. It was I great. Mean. And Dad was right behind me. Yeah, right. And um, he said, we'll do it together, toots. Good on him. Mm. So after all those years of putting it off, it only takes 11 months for you to find your biological mother. Yeah. And what was that first meeting like? My mother, my biological mother, was living on the Central Coast. Um, I was told the reunion was on for, in a few days' time. Right, because all you had was paperwork at yeah. that point. Then the um, reunion is, has just been set. They let me know. And straight after, there's a phone call. I answer the phone again and it's, is that Lorraine? Yeah, who's speaking? It's Hazel. Hazel, my mother. I'm thinking to myself, she said, yes, Hazel, your mother. And then we speak for an hour. I don't know what we talked about. I'm just hanging onto that phone. I can't believe it. But she's, she's telling me, I ask about my Afro-American father and she says, no, no. She didn't know any Afro-Americans. I said, are you sure? <laughs> you <know. laughs> I mean, how did I know? I'm talking to a stranger. You know, three days later when I meet her, and there's this woman, and she's getting closer and closer. I thought, um, no, my mother's white. She's getting closer, and I think, oh, God, no. Shit. This can't be my mother. And next minute we're in each other's arms. I'll tell you what, it was the best feeling. Oh, and but she's not white, she's dark. And then I realised that I've been lied to and I thought, how can I be Aboriginal if I've never lived it? And I'm, how am I supposed to be now? So she's... she's obviously she's Aboriginal. A, obviously Aboriginal. Yeah. And that's really where it hits you for mm. the first time yeah. that everything you've been told... Is a lie. Is a lie. Yeah. That, like... Uh, and, like, you'd just be going, not only is it a lie, but why? I believe um, because it happened to so many of us that were taken, stolen, adopted, fostered, ended up in homes. We were given different nationalities, some of us, um, so we wouldn't go looking for our family because uh, trying to breed out like Australia had never been what it was, black. Mm. 
Aboriginal Australia. Um, so you think it was a, an intentional thing to yeah. put you off the scent yeah. in a way? Yeah, I do. Right. And do you think that, that came from uh, the people who adopted you out or, or, or do you think that your mum was complicit in that? Well, I think it was a system yeah, right. at the time. So you hug your mum, you hug this strange Aboriginal woman who's just approached you. <laughs> you give her a big hug. And I've often wondered whether there is a genuine connection. Um, that's the only time that we hugged. Really? Mm. I could feel her pulling away already and um, I just didn't feel that warmth, that closeness. Yeah, she wasn't a motherly type. Right. Well, you, you'd had that before. <laughs> so did you... So looking back on that then, did you think, you know, all those years where you were reluctant to go and seek out your family because of that fear of rejection, did you feel like that had come to fruition? I thought, well, at least I know who I am. And I, th I felt that she was too damaged. And I felt her pain... Um, I felt my own as well, but I felt her pain and that she couldn't mother mm. and I, I, I was just not meant to have a mother. Do you think then, I mean, because she did have, I guess, the, the, the upside of it, mm. even though she wasn't perhaps the mother that would have been that fairy tale ending. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the upside was that she did have other children, so you had um, other Siblings, you discovered your siblings and a much broader yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel connected, very well connected to my family. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, my sister Lorraine, 13 months difference now. Which we, is hilarious that you both is. got the same name. <laughs> we started life with different name. Um, I what are the chances that your adoptive <laughs> parents are going to call you the same name as one of your sisters? <laughs> Well, Here are my children, Lorraine and Lorraine. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it was just extraordinary. Uh, we were so alike. It was spooky. And, you know, we'd take the words out of each other's mouth and, you know, just meeting her for the first time. It was a real sense of connection. It was. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. What you'd missed your whole life. Yeah. And so I was really um, not happy when she died. I... She died at 47, so... So young. Yeah, and she was going to be a grandmother for the first time. And, um, you know, we became so close that it was... That bond, it was like we were twins. It felt... We joked about it. So, OK, so in discovering all that, why did they give you up in the first place? Well, my mother went to hospital. My grandmother went with her. Um, and they thought they'd be taking a baby home. Joe, my grandmother's husband, white fella, he said, oh, no, 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 she's got to be adopted. There's, we've got too many mouths to feed as it is. So she had imagined she was going off to hospital and she was coming home with the baby, mm. and Joe just said, no, no. this one's staying here. Mm. Yeah. So he just didn't want... Uh, child out of wedlock. He didn't want uh, Hazel's baby. Mm. 
she wasn't biologically his. Anyway. And she had a terrible time, you know. But like you say, she was damaged as well. Yeah, she was. And I think she was... Um, but unlike you, she never had the opportunity to come to terms with it. No, and she was... Uh, she was a complex person. You couldn't get close to her. Yeah, no wonder though, mm. Lorraine. Um, the oldest of this huge tribe of kids. And her identity never addressed. Yeah. So how do you look back now at that sense of shame that you had? Yeah, um, well, it's a lot of wasted time, and but I can't stay there any longer um, back in the past. Um, I did what I could, when I could, um, and I'm just so pleased that I did it, you know, that I finally found my family and... Um, I've been told that a cup of one of my cousins I was speaking on the phone the other night to her, lover like a sister, and she said, you know, a few of the cousins were speaking and saying, now that Auntie Betty died earlier this year, you're the matriarch now of this uh, this generation. And I said, I don't know whether I want to be the matriarch. I, um, that's a lot of responsibility. Uh, we had a bit of a chat. I don't know if that is a lot that. of responsibility. You just get to be crotchety and tell people what to do and <laughs> stick your nose in their business. I think that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Embrace it. Yeah. But yeah. isn't that a beautiful end to that story, I guess, when you, you think about that struggle just to, about belonging mm. and about nurturing and mothering, which is something that you obviously had a skill at and it drew you into nursing. And you never got around to having your own children. But you've got that incredible generations of blood relatives that are now yours. Yeah. You know, but I, what, what uh, I was staggered with were all these people that I could see myself in. And it was fabulous. Yeah. You know, um, I was visited the son and daughter-in-law of Lorraine, right? It was a few years after Lorraine had died and I go over and, and it's seven o'clock at night and I'm knocking on the door and I thought, gee, they're inside there. Why don't they come let me in? And it's cold out here on the doorstep. Anyway, Jenny, um, my nephew's wife, answers the door and she says, oh, look, I'm sorry, Lorraine. I thought you were Lorraine. The dead one. <laughs> She'd died three years previously. So they thought they'd seen a ghost. <laughs> so, and at a funeral, one of the aunties had died and and then this one, she was looking at me and she said, oh, you look so much like Auntie Pat. Auntie Pat had died. That was her. Why are they always <laughs> comparing you to someone who's dead? <laughs> quite weird (laughs) but isn't that brilliant i mean the things you take for granted that just sort of having a resemblance Mm. to someone yeah and like you say you know your whole thing started with you looking at at flo's photo album and just going i don't belong Mm. i just don't belong in this photo album and now you've got your own photo album yeah where you've i mean obviously you belong there yeah one final thing that i just wanted to talk to you about is the time you went back to Scarborough, where this whole 
sorry tale <laughs> began. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Well, I can remember the day there was a storm brewing and we go in, two-storey heritage home, beautiful place, operates as the um, an adoption place that's post-adoption resource centre. I'm looking really for my father, you know, because I, I thought there's two sides to this and I always acknowledge that, you know, both my um, Aboriginal family, because that's what I was denied, that comes first with me. It's what's coloured my life in so many ways. And um, of course my father, and uh, he's, he needs to be acknowledged and in, in, included in, in my story, because he once loved my mother as well. But while I'm in this building, I didn't. When I went into the building, I didn't think of trying to find where I'd come from. But I just seemed to be guided, and I asked the social worker, Petrina, um, "Do you think you could tell me where the babies were kept?" And she said, "Oh, look, I'm not. I'm not sure, Lorraine. Actually, I think it might have been. It could have been through here. And there was, you know, an empty room." And I go in there and I, I'm unaware of anything but um, putting my hand and rescuing this baby who was me and taking that baby out of the bassinet and my quest to rescue this baby and, and take them home and hold them close to me and just tell them how much they're loved and they're coming home because she, she doesn't belong in there. And you take the baby home? I take the baby home. What I find remarkable about it, Lorraine, is that you can look back on it with such honesty and but you really do kind of appear... <laughs> to have come out the other side, like a, a beautiful, happy, smiling person. Well, I've had to work through it, Paul. I mean, you know, had I have not worked through it, I, I didn't want to end up bitter and angry for the rest of my life yeah. and, and boozing, you know. So I had to get my life together and I knew that I'd find somebody. Um, didn't have any trouble with you know, finding people, they find, <laughs> they finding me. Uh, and um, I've landed up with a really good bloke. Yes, um, we've got to give Kevin a shout out. Yeah, I just feel so fortunate that it all came together. Um, it finally came together and I've got so much love, I guess, in, in my life. And um, it's wonderful. Good. Mm. You deserve it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of My Fucked Up Family enough to subscribe, share or like. And remember, if you have your own fucked up family story you'd like to share, contact us through our Facebook page. Until next time on My Fucked Up Family.